everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and one of my most anticipated movies of the year has been viewed by yours truly. We are here talking about John Wick. Uh, in preparation for the movie, I did rewatch uh, the other three John Wick movies. I mean, they're they're all timeless, and uh, it's it's fascinating to me how in some ways it feels like each movie gets better and better than the last movie uh but i still it's tough to say where you know how i would rank them uh i almost don't even want to because they just they, they're such a cohesive quadrilogy at this point and it's it's wild to even be able to say that um so i'm super excited to talk about that before we dive into that though i did wanted to uh talk about a couple of other things that i've seen recently some quick hits that uh you know they may or may not pop up later on in the year specifically around some disney tv shows um that i recently watched uh again you know we have we'll have our tv episode towards the end of the year and uh, I don't know if these will make the list. There's a chance they won't. So I wanted to call them out because they're nevertheless, they were really fun. First one on here was uh, Empower, which uh, was a documentary about uh, the women of the MCU, the women of Marvel Studios, uh, which was really cool. It was four episodes around uh, the uh, the women of, Mac- of Wakanda, I think was the first one, Captain Marvel, Scarlet Witch, and the women of the Guardians of the Galaxy, specifically Gamora and Nebula. Uh, I really liked it. I think my favorite episode was probably the Captain Marvel one just because I I felt like we got a ton of inside scoop on what Brie Larson did to prepare for the role, especially around her training, which was just absolutely insane. As somebody who definitely needs to exercise more, uh, seeing what she did, there's a scene where she's pulling a whole car behind her. Uh, very similar to the scene of Michael B. Jordan pulling a plane uh, in the most recent Creed movie. That one was cool. I also really liked the Scarlet Witch one. Obviously, I love Scarlet Witch, but she, um, you know, they, they kind of go over everything from WandaVision and how that show mirrors the stages of grief. And then they also talked about her in um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So it was cool to see, but there wasn't there wasn't a lot of new information I felt in there. Uh, and that's why I kind of liked the Captain Marvel one, but it was good. It was quick, easy to watch. Even quicker than that was Voices Rising, the music of Wakanda forever. Uh, this was awesome. This was a, a it's a three episode documentary. I think each episode is about thirty minutes, and it's around Ludwig Göransson and his journey to creating the music for the movie. And as you all know, you know the soundtrack for Wakanda Forever that made our top music list. Uh, I love that soundtrack. Obviously, everything on there is original music. But what I loved about this is that we actually got to see the creative process of making this music. You do not get to see that very often, I feel like, especially in these movies, right? You know, we see the behind the scenes, uh, whether that's an assembled episode or the special features on the Blu-ray. And very rarely do we get to see anything around the music itself, the score, and the three episodes, the first one focused on the African music, and he actually went to Lagos, and all of the artists that are on these tracks, we got you got to see them, so I got it was awesome to get to put names to faces, and not only that, to learn that they are all um, 
just like natives, local locals to this area. And so that was just so cool to see um, up and comers, you you might say things that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of these artists uh, in the future of music. And then the second episode is around the uh, Mexican culture, I guess the Mayan culture that they're, they uh, were kind of influenced by, uh, which was ugh, just as cool. Getting to see, I, I think his name was uh, Photoquesh. Uh, she was just amazing. The musicians and singers who were in some of these songs uh, and their journeys of how, you know, a lot of these artists are, you know, they're, they're not really well known, right, on the world stage because uh, a lot of people don't listen to that music or even know that it exists. So it was just cool to see him be able to kind of connect with everyone too. Uh, he was a really cool guy in that sense. And then the third episode was around actually creating the score. So I would highly recommend checking that one out too. Uh, I watched that one all in one sitting, uh, super easy. Uh, and then the other one, which this one's uh, interesting. This one was, uh, I would I would say this is definitely underrated based on the IMDb reviews, but National Treasure, Edge of History. This is, uh, I believe it was 10 episodes, and uh, they're all out. The whole season is out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it stars a mostly fresh-faced cast, though uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is in this movie, and we also get... Uh, some surprise visits from people from the National Treasure movies. I've made no secret. That's one of my, some of my favorite movies growing up. Uh, I mean, you guys all know that. I love a good mystery. I love the treasure hunt. And National Treasure merged all of that in terms of ancient history. And this one was really cool because we got to move uh, not just across the country. They go, they go to a lot of different locations. But it's a lot of um, South and Central American history as well. Uh, which was just, I don't know, it was cool. I really liked this show. I can see where there are moments of corniness, much the same way. You know, and it's funny because uh, my wife and I, we just finished watching the third season of Outer Banks today. And uh, it, it was it was almost identical to that. Uh, and it made me smile just because, you know, we, I guess we know the treasure hunting plot at this point. And to me, it's it's always less about finding the treasure than it is about how we get there. And I say that about a lot of different movies, right? Of just it's the how of, of getting to the end of the movie. In this case, the end of the show. And I thought the clues were great. Figuring out the mystery was really great. Learning bits of history was really great. And uh, I'm honestly my bet, and I'm I'm hoping Lisette Oliveira, who uh, is the main character in this uh, series. I would not be surprised if she shows up in the next National Treasure movie. I know that movie's in development. I don't think there's anything more than whispers about it at this point. But if they were smart, they could easily tie it in there because she is an expert treasure solver uh, or mystery puzzle solver. So it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it, especially for anyone who is a fan of the movies. Um, but like I said, that's that's about all. Oh, and then I guess you know, over the last few days, I did. I started my journey in the Scream movies. Uh, the old uh, Scream movies, I just finished the first one, which I feel like I maybe saw when I was a kid. I know we talked about that on the Scream episode, but it was good. I liked it, and there was a lot of callbacks in this movie um, from the sixth, the newest movie. Um, obviously, the callbacks being in the new movie to this movie, but it was cool to see. Uh, I think the movie holds up well for the most part. There's obviously a little bit of cringe in there, um, some questionable decisions made, but at the same time, uh, that's the whole point of the movie is is kind of a parody of that. And then last night, uh, I actually watched uh, a, a fresh on Peacock, Knock at the Cabin, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, who, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to go see that in theaters. Kind of glad I didn't. I mean, it was a good movie. 
Uh, it was a very, very interesting plot. But we all know, uh, you know, M. Light Shyamalan, and this isn't exactly a spoiler, but in terms of the stress levels in this movie, this is a very, very stressful movie. I think I'm going to take some of that stress off of you that the entire movie I'm wondering, oh, oh Lord, when, like, when is the Shyamalan twist? And there really isn't one in this movie. The, the twist is essentially the movie itself, that, that this thing would actually exist, like this plot would be a real-world thing. To me, that is what the twist was, because I kept waiting for some even crazier thing to take place, and it doesn't, except for the fact that, again, everything in the movie is insane, insane. So, um, hey, it's on Peacock. If you've got Peacock and you've got an hour and 40 minutes, I would check it out strictly for Dave Batista alone. Uh, he did a phenomenal job in that movie. So with all of that said, let's dive into the meat and potatoes of this. So like I said, um, let's see if I can sum this up uh, after re-watching all of these movies. So John Wick, Keanu Reeves, and uh, directed by Chad Stahelski, uh, Stahels- I believe is how you say his name. That's at least how it's spelled. Um, who's funny enough was the, for those who don't know, he was the stunt double for Keanu Reeves for a while in the Matrix movies, um, which is really cool. And you know that's why these movies are so good, is because you have an actual stunt director, uh, stunt coordinator, stunt actor uh, directing these films. And each movie progressively gets longer, right? The first movie's an hour and 40. Second one's two hours. Third one's two hours and 10 minutes. And now this fourth one is the longest of the franchise, two hours and 49 minutes, though the director was very keen to mention in many interviews that the movie is actually two hours and 38 minutes without the credits. Though, for those of you who are listening, there is an after credit scene. If you have not seen this movie yet, stay till the end. It's worth it. Not just so you can see it, but so that you can see how many songs were in this movie, which is something that we're going to talk about. The music was great. Uh, we actually got a Josophelstein uh, track on here, Hater Glory, which uh, is one of the greats on that album, Alif. Uh, holy cow. Uh, it just, it it was incredible. So what I'm, my plan is, again, I'll, I'll kind of give you a background on John Wick if you're wanting to see this movie. I'm going to keep the spoilers to a minimum. Uh, but when I am talking spoilers, I will announce it. I will have a brief thing about the spoilers at the end. That way you can kind of skip that part if you'd like. Because there are a couple things that I think need to talk about. And, you know, what is the future of the John Wick franchise after this is done? But, again, we all know how this story starts. John Wick has somehow managed to get out of the game at the beginning of the first John Wick movie. Um, and while he's out, he gets to enjoy white, uh, life with his lovely wife, Helen. And uh, I believe it's cancer. I don't think they really say, but a a disease takes her from him and she dies and he is left alone and she leaves a puppy for him and says, you, you know, don't, don't be alone the rest of your life, basically, which is, you know, and it's, it's crazy to see how far that goes because at this point you don't really know what John's all about, but uh, that's the same, same can be said for some Russian idiots who also don't know what John Wick's all about, see his car at a gas station and say, hey, I like your car, how much? And he says it's not for sale. And later that night, they show up at his house, beat him up, kill his dog, and take his car. And that is the plot of the first movie, is John Wick getting revenge on these people for killing his dog and taking his car. Uh, It is one of the most satisfying revenge movies that you could ever have, uh, something born out of such pure innocence, 
Um, you know, the scene with, uh, and you know, actually, let me pull it up real quick so I'm not uh, going crazy. I did have some John Wick, uh, um, some quotes in here, because as I was watching these movies, like I said, if this is, a, this is a topic for another podcast about what my favorite franchises are, because obviously it's no secret the MCU would be up there, but I would almost disinclude that franchise because it's so large. John Wick might be one of my favorites. It, cer- it certainly is one of my favorites. I don't know where it stacks up. I don't want to put any um, you know, any weight on that. But to say that I've seen these movies a bunch of times, and every single time I feel like I see something new or I laugh at something different. And so here were some of my little hits. So from the first movie, you know, so he, he says um, he takes the car in, the, the uh, son takes it into John Leguizamo's character, and... Uh, He's trying to get him to fix it, and he's like, do you know whose car this is? And he's like, well, what's the big deal? And he punches him in the face. And so he says, get the heck out of my uh, you know, out of my car shop. And later, uh, his father calls him. I think his name's Ariello. And he says, uh, did you hit my son? And he says, yes, sir, I did. And he says, he, t- he took John Wick's car and killed his dog. And he goes, oh, and then hangs up the phone. And I just, I can't express to you how happy that scene made me of just everyone in the criminal underbelly understands that John Wick is the Baba Yaga, uh, which is the OG Baba Yaga before we heard about Baba Yaga in, uh, in Ant-Man, uh, which was very funny. So um, that one was great. And then obviously, you know, this Russian mobster, the head of the Russian mob, he, uh, he, he is obviously pissed off at his son. He can't do much about it because he knows John Wick, but he tries. He tries to send as many people to kill him as he can, and John Wick kills them all. And when the cop shows up at the up at the up at John Wick's house and uh, says that you know someone's got a, had a noise complaint, he says, "You were he, hey Jimmy, you working again, John? Just sorting some things out." He says, "All right, well have a good night, John. <laughs> See you, Jimmy." Uh, just so great. And then when he goes to kill the son at the uh, uh, this nightclub, one of the guys, like one of the Russian guards, who apparently was a friend of John's, John shows up right behind him and puts a gun to his neck. He says, why don't you take the night off, Francis? <laughs> and Francis says, thank you, John, <laughs> and, and leaves. So great. Um, and then in the second movie, so this movie obviously ends with him getting his revenge. He kills the son. He kills the dad. He kills absolutely everybody. I think there's uh, there's a note in, that Chad was talking about in this interview I read, talking about he killed 84 people. I don't know if that's 84 people amongst all three of the prior films. I wouldn't be surprised if it's just in the first movie because he kills so many people that you lose count. And one of the greatest things about these films is the people that are involved in them. This first movie has Adrian Pilecki from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's got Willem Dafoe, uh, who plays DeFriend and Dafoe in this movie, which I thought was obviously is great. Uh, but then in the second movie, you get uh, a little more of Ian McShane. He was in the first one, obviously Lance Riddick as well. But we get this whole build-out and background of the underbelly of the John Wick universe, which is this thing called the table of these secretive, high-brow people we never meet. And uh, they run this, basically, they run the Hitman uh franchise in a sense so anyone who's a you know hitman and an assassin they have to follow a certain code and part of that is this system of hotels that all of the uh the people can stay at and the only rule is that you can't conduct business on these continental grounds they're all called the continental and so the second movie is you know after john has finished doing all of this he's obviously he's survived he actually finds a dog by the end of the movie 
And then in the second one, we all know what happens in that. Hopefully, if you right, if you've seen it, but uh, who, what's his name? And, and D'Antonio, I know is his last name, but um, basically, a guy from his past shows up and has a marker, which is another piece of new lore that we get. That if you do something for someone for a marker. They'll do something for you, but at any point in the future, they present this marker to you, and you have to do whatever they ask, or you will get killed. And literally, after John Wick has gotten out, no one's going to mess with him anymore, and I'm almost convinced that the only reason D'Antonio... Well, and I don't know, you could argue that maybe D'Antonio didn't show up, wouldn't show up if John never came back out of retirement, quote-unquote, from the first film... But the whole reason he comes back is because his sister is about to become the representative of Italy or whoever it is for the high table. And he wants that. I think it's because his father passed away. And he wants that for himself. So he uses the marker to get John Wick to kill his sister. And John is adamant against this. He says, absolutely not. Please don't make me do this. And obviously he does and he can't do anything about it. And so the whole movie here is him traveling to Italy to kill his sister we get one of my favorite fight scenes in this one which is in the uh and this uh, honestly I, i will still say it of all of the four movies i think this one has my favorite soundtrack and that's this is the one i struggle with john wick 2 between the three films i would have said it would go my favorites would be john wick 2 and then John Wick 3, and then John Wick 1. I I give all of them nines. Now, again, it's a struggle to see where they're going to stack up with this fourth movie. But that scene where he's at the concert going to kill the lady, we get Common in this movie playing a rival assassin that's trying to kill him. Um, But basically at this point, his sister dies, she kills herself, and then John puts a bullet in her, obviously, to prove that he kind of put her into that place but we get this amazing fight in the sewers that's just incredible with shotguns blows my mind ruby rose is in this um she does a great job in here too and uh what happens next is stupidly but also logically d'antonio puts out a bounty on john wick for killing his sister and he says right i have to do this i i if i don't put a bounty up people are going to think that i asked you to do this well hey idiot you did ask him to do this but I get it. I get it. And so he essentially says the same thing that uh, Optimus Prime says in the Rise of the um, Rise of the Transformers movie. Um, they, they basically say, you know, John, he's coming. He's coming for you. They're, you know, they're all going to come for you. And he says, uh, "Let them come." Yeah, I don't know if you hear that, but he says, "Let them come," and uh, they certainly do. And so the whole rest of this movie is him dealing with different assassins trying to kill him. And uh, it's amazing. We get to finally see what he can do with a pencil, uh, what he can do with people of various sizes, including a sumo wrestler. And then by the end of this, after he's killed everyone he's needed to kill, he decides to kill D'Antonio himself. Because if he kills him, the bounty will end. But the jerk uh, goes and stays at the Continental. And so the end of this movie is him showing up at the Continental and uh, the manager, uh, Winston, says, Jonathan, you know, don't shoot him on continental grounds. And uh, But he does, and he immediately shoots him. And it is the best feeling in the world. But at the same time, he is now excommunicado. And he is essentially can't stay at any of the continental uh, places, uh, which is a shame now. But the nice thing is that Winston gives him an hour. He says, you, you have an hour to, you know, prepare. And that's the ending of that movie. 
And then John Wick 3 takes place immediately after that in the uh, the span of that hour where John Wick is trying to basically prepare himself, uh, tries to get some guns, gets a little bit of healing. But his whole goal now is how can I basically, how can I stop this? How can I stop this insane bounty that's now been put on his head because of what he did? Because there's, and that's one of my favorite things. That's the whole point of this entire franchise. That is why this franchise exists is consequences. And the consequences of John coming back. And hey, they say it in the first movie, right? He says it, it was just a dog. And how dare you even say that it was just a dog? But hey, if John had let it go, there, w- there wouldn't have been any problems. But at the same time, how can you let something like that go when you're that grief-stricken? And so in a way, you know, just like he says in the first movie, people keep asking if I'm back. I'm thinking I'm back. Uh, and he is, you know, uh, Winston tells him in the bar, he says, uh, you think you're going to dip your toe in, but, uh, you know, it's going to take you into the abyss. You can't dip your toe back in. You're going to fall all the way in. And he does. He falls all the way in. And the line of this movie, right, the main thing is Parabellum, which Winston states and essentially says, you know, if you can't have peace, prepare for war. That is what Parabellum means in Latin is prepare for war. And that is essentially what this movie is about, is there's an adjudicator from the high table. Again, these crazy new lore pieces that show up. Uh, This adjudicator comes in and essentially questions Winston, says, hey, uh, you know, there are rules and there are consequences. And you broke those rules by giving John Wick an hour. Why didn't you kill him immediately? And why, why is that, right? It's because they were friends. And again, that whole through line of friendship is what carries into this fourth movie of John Wick may be a very lonely man. He may have nobody by his side, but he actually does have a lot of friends, a lot of uh, contemporaries who, who respect him quite a bit. And so here he goes to try and find, um, well, he has two contemporaries basically. And the, the one of them sort of in the, I think is in the second one, but definitely in this third one of uh, Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King, who's essentially the underground uh, network of homeless people who are all assassins as well, which is just so cool. And so he's got him kind of helping him. And th- and that wasn't the second one because the adjudicator comes and to- tells him too, you, why did you help John Wick when he was excommunicado? And so they basically kill him. We find out right that he's not, he doesn't die, but he is very badly wounded. And then Winston, same thing. They said, you know, you you've got to, um, you know, you've got to kill John Wick. And, and he says, oh, I'm going to try. But at the same time, John Wick goes to Morocco. He meets up with Halle Berry, who is the uh, kind of the manager of the hotel and uh, the, the continental there. And she takes him to a guy who knows the location of the one of the men of the high table, like an elder who is like this famous secretive person who lives in the desert. And he says this, of course, right, cryptic phrase of he, you don't find him, he finds you. Just walk as far as you can into the desert. And when you're about to die, he, that is when he will find you or he won't find you and you'll die. And so him and ha- and he has a marker for Halle Berry's character too. He says, you owe me like for something. He helped her with something with her daughter way back when. And so now we get even cooler action sequences of her and her dogs, which is absolutely insane. And I know I've said that a lot, but this whole franchise is insane. So uh, we get to that spot. He gets into the desert. Uh, let's see, did I miss any of the other great lines in here? Oh yeah, so from the second, second movie, 
uh, he goes to get his car back right from the beginning of the movie. And uh, John Leguizamo says, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a crack in your windshield. His whole windshield is busted. It was great. And then, uh, you know, his house explodes in that one, too. Hey, Jimmy, gas leak? Yeah. You working again, John? <laughs> he says it again. That was great. And then, oh, but so, yeah, so in this movie, he, he meets the elder, who is actually played by the guy who's in Wonder Woman, surprisingly. And he says, you know, I want to be free again, right? And he says, essentially, you can never be free again based on the rules of the high table. But what you can do, you, you basically have two choices. One choice is we'll kill you and you can die. The, uh, and you'll be free. The other choice is that you kill Winston, right? Because at this point, they have an issue. They've deconsecrated the uh, – well, actually, they haven't done that yet. But they're basically – they're trying to get him out. They've kicked him out because of what he did. If you kill Winston, we'll call it even. But they say you need to show your fealty. So he cuts off his finger and removes his wedding ring. I had to write that down. I said, why do you need to cut off your finger to remove your wedding ring? I don't know. I get that it's the symbolism. But he comes back, and we learn more about the friendship between the two of them because he decides, I'm not going to kill you, Winston. And so Winston, Sharon, and him, Sharon being Lance Reddick's character, defend the Continental as it's deconsecrated, and the armies of the High Table come in, and they must, again, parabellum, prepare for war. And so they do... They kick absolute ass. By the end of it, the adjudicator says, we need to call a parlay. What can we do about this? And uh, he, they essentially agree to give Winston back his hotel. They're going to reconsecrate it. Everything will go back to normal. All he has to do is kill John Wick. And he says, fine. He shoots John Wick in his bulletproof jacket off of a building. And the movie ends with him basically slammed on the ground. The Bowery King is revealed to be alive. And he says... Uh, one of my favorite lines: If you're gonna kill, if you're gonna come for the king, you better cut him to the quick. And he says, "I don't know about you, John, but I'm pissed off. Are you pissed off? Yeah." And then that's the end of the movie. And so, John Wick Chapter Four opens up with him in this place right now, where he has, I believe, at this point in time, a fifteen million dollar bounty on his head maybe $18 million bounty. So everyone is still on the hunt for him, uh, everyone. And so even at this point, there's uh, there's now a new player at the table, which is uh, played by uh, Bill Skarsgård, uh, who also has a sort of concierge uh, called the Harbinger in Clancy Brown. He's essentially the Harbinger of the high table. And so he comes to the Continental and says, you know, oh, these... Uh, Basically, you, you, you're, you're in trouble at this point. You, you need to go see the Marquis. His name is Marquis, Bill Skarsgård. And, uh, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything in regards to the storyline, but essentially Ian McShane's Winston and Sharon are dealing with the Marquis at the same time that John Wick has now fleed to, um, to another continental, to Osaka's continental. So we finally get to see Chad Stalski, uh, which again, we kind of saw in this third movie with the incredible work done by, and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I get his name right. Um, cause he's, uh, from Iron Chef, um, Mark DeCascos, uh, who plays, his name is Zero. Uh, and I love him. He's awesome. He's a great actor. There, but again, talk about top tier talent. You've got Angelica Houston in this movie as well. Uh, Asa Kate Dillon. You got again. You got Halle Berry, who apparently did an insane amount of training for this film too. So uh, great for her, um, which was cool. But uh, but yeah. So in this movie, essentially, he's trying to survive, and he gets put to the ultimate test of okay. 
if I can kill, if I just kill this marquee, maybe that will be enough. And essentially, Ian McShane or Winston says, you know that's not going to be enough, Jonathan. Like, you can't, if you just kill him, someone else is going to replace him. And he says, well, I'll kill him too. And he's like, no, like you're basically you need to calm down and you need to think about this and play by the high tables rules. So again, I won't reveal what it is that he tells him to do, but there's basically an ancient tradition that he can uh, that he can wield in here, uh, or request, I guess you could say. And so at the same time, though, again, the Marquis has now kind of become the figurehead of the table. I, we don't see anyone from the table in this movie, and that, I, I think that was really cool. It's not a spoiler because again, we don't see anybody from there. But this Marquis is essentially the the um, the avatar of the table for this film. And so he has been tasked with ensuring that John Wick gets killed. And he has hired Kane, who is played by Donnie Yen in another incredible role. Some of my most uh, breathtaking scenes were with him in his fighting. But the funny thing is he plays a blind guy, which made me laugh because he also played a blind guy in Rogue One. So I was like, I wonder how he felt about playing a blind guy again. But again... In this interview, the director was saying they were very careful about what they did with Donnie because he is a very particular actor in a good way. He said a lot of people only want him in their movies to show off his fighting skills, and he wants to be a fully fleshed out character. He is a fully fleshed out character in this movie. He is essentially a super badass daredevil uh, who doesn't have any superpowers. So that's all I'll say about him. Uh, If you're a fan of motion sensors, you're going to love this. You're going to love this guy. Uh, but then at uh, the Osaka Continental, you have the manager there, who is played by Hiroyuki Sanada, who was in Bullet Train. He was in Avengers Endgame. Very famous actor. Uh, the character's name is Shishimazu. Uh, and he's, oh man, the fights at that Continental are insane. But here's here's one of my favorite pieces of this movie. A dream come true. We talked about this multiple times in the past. One of my favorite new artists, Rina Sawayama, is in this movie. And she plays his daughter, Akira. And she's awesome. She she has a great amount of screen time, enough to introduce her to maybe we say, ooh, is she gonna get she gonna get something in the future? I pray she does. I pray we just see her in anything in the future because she just did a she had a great performance. Uh, everyone performed to the best of their ability. We get a, another really cool character who he goes by Mr. Nobody, but they call him the Tracker by Shamir. His name is Shamir Anderson, and he has a dog as well. He's got a, uh, I think he's got a German Shepherd, uh, and he hasn't been in a ton of things either. He was in, uh, he was in the movie Awake. He was in the movie Race, um, but uh, you know another up and comer who just absolutely kills it. He is really good with a gun. Um, he was awesome. I'm trying to think if there was anyone else here who was great. Again, Lawrence Fishburne reprises his role as the Bowery King. Um, he's not in it that much, but that's fine, right? We see him in the prior movies, but he's he's meant to be in here, and he's got good parts. Everyone has a purpose. Uh, Lance Reddick, too, and we haven't really talked about that yet in terms of the passing of Lance Reddick, but um, all I will say on that is there are certain times where... Um, you know, an actor passes away before a film comes out, and a lot of people want you know wonder or question how. And it's rightfully so. I think I think you know we get caught up in that a lot when certain things happen. Of oh, how is this going to affect the movie? Which is always you know it shouldn't be the first thing on your mind, right? What a terrible tragedy for him, for his family. 
um, to be taken so soon and so suddenly. Uh, you know, they were actually on the uh, like the interviewing circuit for the film. Like the film had already been made, and that was when he passed away. Apparently, uh, my brother was telling me like the night before he was doing some video game thing because he's he was huge in uh, I think it was I'll have to click and double check Horizon Zero Dawn or uh, uh, Destiny. He was really big in Destiny, I think. And yeah, it's funny too. He was in Godzilla vs Kong. Uh, it just. It's a tragedy. He's he was. Uh, I know him best from obviously these John Wick movies, but he was also in. Uh, he's a really great comedian. He was in some Tim and Eric stuff that uh, was really really funny. And uh, but you know beyond all of that tragedy, again people will wonder. Well, how, you know how's that going to impact things going forward, right? It's uh, it's a fair question to ask. And here's all I'll say on it. I'm not going to spoil what happens with his character one way or the other in this film. Only to say. It is very rare that you get a performance and plot for a character like this with this sort of situation to the point of I immediately was emotional in the movie and said, like, in the worst way, this was really fit. This is a fitting a fitting thing for him. And so, um, so yeah, so that's all I'll say on that. I think I think it was perfect. And uh, I think he, I mean, it sounds like he was happy with the decision as well, you know, based on these interviews too. And so um, I think that, and then again, Ian McShane, Ian McShane was awesome in this movie. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed everyone that was in here and, you know, we haven't even talked about Keanu Reeves, but what more do you need to know? He, he is John Wick at this point. And so with that said, in terms of theme for this movie, you see that it comes full circle with what his wife told him in the first movie around not being alone and this movie is all about friendship and it is it is so cool to see a man who has murdered so many people and is a you know this crazy baba yaga hitman that there are people that are friends to him and that will still support him and that's kind of the journey that he goes on here and it's it's crazy to see how um how he acts in this movie compared to his performances in the other John Wicks, where you actually see a character progression. He is completely driven. He is, he has he has nothing left to lose. He's just he's different than what you know, he's very angry in some of the other ones. He's very angry, obviously, in the first movie. He's basically just as angry in the second movie over what he has to do. But in this movie he's kind of got that resolve now where he's not angry anymore. He's just he's done. He's absolutely done with this nonsense. And you see that in the body count. You see that in the way that he fights. And where he just, I mean, there's a bit where he's fighting with nunchucks. And I, it just, it the, the action is notched up to an even better level. There's not a minute wasted in this movie. Uh, there were a couple of times I had to adjust myself in the seat. But that was just because the theater was packed and it was really warm. But uh, like I said, it flew by. Movie flew by. The scenes were amazing. His performance was amazing, and uh, and that is where I'm going to leave it from a non-spoilery perspective. So if you have not seen this movie, pause this here. Come back once you've seen it. Uh, trust me, it's going to fly by, and you'll be back here before you know it. Or if you want to hear these things going forward, and then you'll forget about them. Either way, you have been warned. So the first spoiler we'll talk about is to continue that conversation around Lance Reddick uh, and his death at the very beginning of this movie. Um, he is essentially the the uh, linchpin for John Wick and, and Winston 
in this film. If he doesn't die, the rest of this film doesn't happen. It's that that death pushes Winston forward, and I thought that that was it was beautiful and tragic and terrible. It was everything. And again, like I said, how 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 could you have predicted that? And the director was explaining, you know, he they had a lot of talks with him at the time, and he said, well, while I'm obviously not a fan of this. It makes total sense, and he said the movie doesn't work otherwise. So they they fully had his blessing for it. I'm just shocked. Like when when does that happen? Because again, I you know I it, it was a question I asked myself. So are they going to make another John Wick movie? And and is he going to not be in it? That's going to are they going to recast somebody? But no, they they put a perfect bow on it. It is the perfect send off for him. And uh, there's this line or there's this bit again in the movie where he's talking Ian McShane about what he put on his his gravestone. And he said it was really it struck it was a struggle to figure out what to put, and he said I just chose friend, because that is what he was he was a friend, and it just it was so powerful and on that boat ride John turns and this was one of the things I put on here and this this actually choked me up and and brought a tear to my eye because it just again just a thing he he turns to him and he says loving husband, and he's like what and he says John loving husband that's what I want on my tombstone. And it is the again, Keanu just absolutely kills the uh, the man of few words, and I I was just dumbstruck at that scene because I did not expect it. It was so sad to hear, and I didn't predict it. I didn't predict it at all because I didn't know what was going to happen in this movie. But the other spoiler we'll talk about is uh, John Wick's death which I'm still convinced he's not dead, but that is just because I don't want John to be dead, but it is the perfect ending to this movie. Uh, you know, the, the final scene, as we alluded to earlier, was that he challenges um, he challenges this marquee to a duel. And by the code of the high table, when you're challenged to a duel, you have to accept there are terms, and his terms are if he wins, He's free of any and all obligation from the high table. Basically, he's back to where he was, and then also that Ian McShane, Winston, gets his hotel back, his management back, because they blow up the Continental after what he did. And so he says, you know, in rebuilding the Continental on the high table's dime, and then obviously if if the Marquis wins, John Wick will be dead. So that's a win-win. But because this guy's an absolute snot, he nominates Donnie Yen's character to Kane, to uh, be his proxy and Kane says if he lives him and his daughter are free because he's been trying to fight for his daughter's freedom as well so there's a it's really powerful I mean there's it's it's incredible and again he he does die he you know just from his wounds basically but the ending of it you know you don't actually see him die you sort of you see him pass out on the on some stairs and maybe he's still alive because um, we see the burial we see a we see the tombstone but we never see a body. We never see a burial. I don't think they're going to bring him back because it's too perfect of an ending. But, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe maybe it's open for that. Um, some of the fights that I loved, again, I don't want to, I didn't want to really spoil them in the other portion of the review, but um, there's a giant stair fight that's just insane. In terms of him having to be at this duel by a specific time, by sunrise, and he falls all the way down these stairs um, a la Hot Rod, which is funny because Ian McShane's in this movie. Uh, and it was hilarious, but also just devastating. You're like, is he not going to make it? And then there's another scene in here as well, where uh, another fight scene at the Arc de Triomphe where, in Paris, where they're literally fighting between cars. And he's using cars 
as weapons, throwing people in front of a car to get hit by a car. There's an amazing one shot that's like an over-the-head shot of uh, him using this incendiary ammo and a shotgun around this giant. It's just, it's incredible. Um, and honestly, I, I don't even want to say much more than that. I'm going to make sure I hit on some of these notes that I had. Um, yeah, my breath got taken away at the Donnie and triple punch in the kitchen at the beginning. Loved that. Again, Rina Sawayama, she even gets a song in here. There's this guy, I don't remember what his name is, but you'll you'll not miss, you won't miss him. He's got gold teeth and he uses a uh, inhaler and he's basically the same as the penguin. And I just I thought that guy was really cool. We got to see a nice little gambit bit from John Wick as he cuts the guy with one of the playing cards. Uh, and then the final piece was that there's a, a kind of a Russian mobster named uh, well she her name's not in this, but played by Natalia Tena, I believe. Um, who's Tonks from Harry Potter? As I was watching this, I was like, I know, I, I know, I know her from somewhere, and I couldn't figure it out. And so I looked at the end. Um, and then, yeah, so let's talk about the post-credit scene. That'll be the last thing we talk about. Um, the post-credit scene is Donnie Yen going to visit his brother, and uh, or I'm sorry, going to visit his daughter. And as he's doing so, and keep in mind again, I guess a spoiler: he kills Rina Sawayama, Akira's father, at the beginning of this movie. And it is it is Akira, you know, kind of coming up to her him with a knife to like knife him to assassinate him, but we don't see it happen. So my money is on um, if they move this forward. We've already heard of like an Anna de Armas spinoff called Ballerina, which I'm sure is going to detail some story of the uh, what do they call them the the Ruska the Ruska Raya or something like that the the Russians in the show in the movie. Um, but I, I would love to see a continuation of this story with Rena's character. And maybe she decides not to kill Donnie Yen and Donnie Yen train. Whatever it is, there's just so many other characters in this universe that are dying to be fleshed out, dying to have more stories to be told. But I'm the same believer as anyone else that it needs to be a good story to be told. And they have told perhaps the best John Wick story ever. Not just in this movie, but over the span of four films. Each film not only being longer than the last, but making more money than the last. This is a cash cow. So um, if you think that they're not going to make some other spinoff or something in the future, you're crazy. Uh, honestly, it is only an only time will tell sort of situation. So that is where I will wrap things up. Um, like I said, you got to see this movie. I can't wait to see it again. Is it a 10 out of 10? Quite possibly. I have it sitting at a 9 right now. I, I, I try. There's certain movies I can kind of give a 10 to right away because I know there's other ones where I've got to... Any, any movie like that, I have to at least see it twice. And I've only seen this movie once. So I'm really looking forward to another viewing of this of this film. I think I'll be even more emotional knowing what's coming and seeing if there's like hints to it throughout the film because I was sucked in the entire time. Um, but yes, so uh, let me know if you liked it as well. Again, I, I have not heard very many negative comments about this movie, but that is where we will wrap things up. Thank you all so much for listening. And for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the duel.